Hello, Interbang and Stephanie. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Interbang. How is everybody? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Just I'm doing fine. pretty good. I'm excited a little bit. Indeed. Update, update on my setup. I did a new little setup today that I think is is fun. Uh, feeling more than kind of have like a little cozy nook corner here in my dining room table area. So I kind of like being in this corner to feel like I'm even more in this like enclosed recording studio. Um, so I'm digging that and um, been having some great weather here. Kind of feels a little bit like fall is coming, like that, like the air is very clear and trying to figure out what it's going to do next. It's about sure. Sure. And, but I know technically it's fall coming soon, but like, I still like that ambiguity of like the atmosphere, not being certain, like a, like okay. a poker game of weather of like, what are we going to do? We're going to go so back to So you're saying hot, it's like 90 cold. degrees. And then it's like the next day is 60, 50 degrees. It's been, it's been like in the nineties Fahrenheit ish. I mean, like warmer eighties or nineties Fahrenheit here, a little bit warmer feeling a little more direct sun, but then lately it's been, high 70s low 80s but it's it's more just how the air feels it's like that clear mm, less humidity mm-hmm. sure yeah yeah mine so. i think vacillates between it fluctuates between you know lovely 60 70 degree weather and then the next day is like 80 muggy and like it's about to rain it's all cloudy mm. and then it goes back to like being brisk and like i don't know if rain happened or not but i'll take the briskness please <laughs> right um yeah so interrobang i don't know what season it currently is where you are at or what it's about to be but yeah hopefully it's pleasant um let you do whatever activities you're wanting to do um indeed indeed yeah um i have a question for you uh michelle mm-hmm. and interrobang yeah um so i uh, i'm gonna get to it in a long-winded way um, so I was winded watching- way. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just great segues right here coming from the What About Podcast team. So um, I was watching King Arthur, the guy Richie. It's like a newer King Arthur movie spin take on the legendary theme. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed kind of like the modern take of. Well, it was set back in like you know ancient times when King Arthur was supposed to exist, and there's knights in shining armor and um, dirt and grime and all that stuff. I mean, I guess there still is dirt and grime, but you know it was you know set way back in the medieval ages or you know dark ages. Um, but it was done in very like stylized way that Guy Ritchie's uh, cinematographic style is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of reminded me how timeless like myths and legends kind of are like no matter what kind of like almost Shakespeare we keep kind of coming back to them and revisiting them in different ways and um why do some of them stick and you know like what are you know a lot of tropes that have you know been in uh these stories have kind of transcended through times and adapted themselves in different ways and become you know like superman or batman or you know like you you see them in modern culture um but you know like we've we've got themes of like dark versus light or you know like a trickster person or like a hero or you know like just storytelling elements um that are present in stories (laughs) so yeah uh yeah so so what are um if you were to be a story or, you know, like had become a story um, that were, was told through, you know, the ages, 
somehow like you were remembered or some version of you were to be remembered what um trope or kind of character or um if you even want to become a trope or you know, like what would you want to be remembered as by like we're not talking legacy here I mean it partially is legacy but like we've talked about legacy before in a more formalized setting um but I'm talking like for the for the grander you know maybe you don't want to be remembered as grander you know like or or if you have a strange object that you know you you quite like and how would you like that to be mythologized I know it's a bit of an odd question but why not let's go for it I think I don't know if this answers your question. Sure. But for me, my approach to this, which I think is first of all, great question. Uh, my my approach to this is thinking about aspects of life that I really like and treasure. I would want to be a benevolent entity. I'll say that. I'll start there. I would okay. like to be benevolent versus mischievous or you know, causing harm. Um, I was going to say, no no side that thinks that they're in the wrong. Most exactly. sides think that they're in the right, even the dark side. I would like somewhat to... Somewhat argue. Fair, 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 fair. Mm, mm. But that is what I would like to come about and to cause and to allow peace. Okay. Not okay. increase entropy and chaos. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I feel like I would want to be like this spiritual entity where those moments where you just kind of have this like you're really, really thirsty and you take a nice copious amount of this is going a <laughs> drink and you kind of just have that like super refreshing like yeah sure or when you first like it's it just I don't know what it is it's, it's that, or when you like lie down or take up lie down after a long day and like your head hits the pillow it's like like it just rushes over your whole body Sat- or, satiation satisfactory mm-hmm. yes. or when you t- but it has to be after this period of of pain or distress adversity you're wearing uncomfortable shoes all day and you get home and you take them up and go sure i would like to be the spirit associated with bringing that presence into someone's body the spirit of yes not to be confused <laughs> with the spirit of it's very different intonation yeah. you yeah. know and i come from and i and i'm coming from that because when um in in slavic mythology there's a, mm. a spirit named kikimora who is kind of okay. the, the counterpart uh, for Lomovoy. And they're these house spirits um, okay. in, in kind of a you know pagan house spirits and Slavic mythology. And there are they're very um, very common, very popular. So there's different interpretations of of them and what they, they do. But um, one application of them is within the household, like for everyday living. Um, whenever you, I think an example would be like, you know, your car keys, the famous example of your car keys, mm-hmm. you put them somewhere, you go do something and you can't find where they are. And like, you'll mm-hmm. just, and they're just lost and you look mm-hmm. everywhere and you're just like, mm-hmm. I don't know how they could have gone anywhere. Like I literally checked mm-hmm. the 10 places they should be. In that case, it, it's usually associated with Domovoy being this house spirit that kind of takes them and hides them ah, so and puts them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Ghoul, ghost spirit? Um, yeah, like a house spirit. Entity? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then Kikimura is the counterpart where it's the opposite of when you're looking for something, like maybe you're cooking and you're just like, you're like, oh, you know what would go good with this? Like, let's like try to find salt. Paprika. Or something. Paprika, yeah. exactly. And like, you can't remember where your paprika is, but all of a sudden you look to the right of your stove and it's like right there. You go, oh, whoa. Okay, cool. Sure. Right there. 
that would be Kiki Mora putting it out, laying it out for you. Ah, okay. So you're like, oh gosh. Benevolent spirit. All right. Yeah. So that's, that's the spirit that, those are two spirits that me personally, I deal with on a regular basis because I'm a forgetful, <laughs> scatterbrained person. Sure. But then sometimes things just like work out really well. And I feel like that- they, they're very thankless. Like they don't get thanked enough. I think people just take take that for granted. Yeah, yeah. There's you know. they're, they're super complex and but that was I would like I'll to be something like Kiki, mind, Kiki Mora or like so yeah the the spirit of ah yeah be my my answer yeah I like that that's that's great very <laughs> satisfying answer <laughs> yeah how about you I was a bit more shallow with this <laughs> okay. um uh yes even though I posed the question I kind of um. I've been, you know, like, I kind of admire the trickster gods, but I feel like they get up to a lot of no good. Like, I I do like the mischief nature of it, but I feel like it gets quite a bit out of hand. So, um, I have have one to add after this. I do have one I'd like to be after this. Okay. Okay. Um, but so, so I feel like I would like to have like small little mischiefs, kind of like, I guess, an imp, you know, just like have a little bit of fun or, um, if any of you have seen this movie, Rise of the Guardians, it's a fantastic movie. Please do watch it if you haven't. Jack Frost is like the spirit of fun. And right. I kind of like that, you know, that sense of enjoyment, wonderment, um, curiosity. Like a childlike that. idea yeah. of fun. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like, I mean, I've touched on this before, but sometimes some people can get very stiff about things and, you know, they just don't see the humor. And I feel like it's good to see the humor in a lot of things. I mean, doses, you know, don't just like laugh when in a funeral that's a bit when it's not appropriate. Sometimes, you know, laughter is nice. That was so, mine. All right. <laughs> well, that exactly was mine. Specifically what? My mischievous spirit would be, yeah. again, inhabiting people and having them have that uncontrollable fit of giggles in a oh, bizarre... Oh, inappropriate setting. Okay. okay. It wouldn't always be inappropriate. It could just be like, for some reason, you're just at lunch with a friend and they make a mildly funny remark. But it just gets you. It just, it just sinks tickles in. you, and you it can't just tickles stop. you, and then it just reverberates through your whole being, and you just go off. That belly full of laughter. You don't even know what you're laughing about anymore. Because laughter to me is, I feel it's very therapeutic and healing. Um, so it wouldn't always be laughing at a funeral for no reason. Um, you get abs from all the laugh, after laughter that you got. <laughs> but I yeah. would like to be a spirit that instead uh, instills that in people. Um, okay. Just, just okay. Spont- like instead of like spontaneously combusting, it's like spontaneous laughter fits and yeah like you said full belly laughing okay okay i feel like that would have to be doled out somewhat cautiously oh yeah oh totally yeah yeah Yeah. great power great responsibility (laughs) there we go because i'm I'm subject to those myself good in in both good and bad situations and yeah cool so that that kind of abruptly segues ourselves into the general topic of this Mm. episode yes um myths and legends um and i don't know i want to like cue like some cool horn epic oh yes those timpani drums yes yeah. iconic horns and mm-hmm. timpanis myths yes. and legends so um before we start i'm going to give a shout out to um a podcast and a youtube channel that i really like um 
the podcast is called Myths and Legends, so easy to remember. And the YouTube channel is Overly Sarcastic Productions. Go check them out if you want to hear more about really cool myths and legends. Sorry, myths and legends and overly sarcastic productions. Productions. Um, the podcast is a bit more long-winded, but like they tell lovely stories in like a long way sometimes in multiple episodes. Um, and they give like little creatures at the end, uh, like fun facts about little mythological creatures at the end of each episode. And then mm-hmm. Overly Sarcastic Productions kind of gives a snarky spark notes take on different myths and legends. Some are well-known, some are lesser known. They also do- So it's like animated as well? The YouTube channel? Um, with it's the, like video, the videos? Cartoonified, like they've drawn it, but the pictures are still, and they just kind of okay. flash between different still picture images that they've drawn. But it's really great. I enjoy it. A particular type of myth and legends, or just kind of all over- all- all multicultural it's diverse same thing as myths and legend podcasts they i appreciate the diversity that they're able to bring so cool stuff check them we out we'll uh, we'll put those links in the episode description uh, as reference um that is cool yeah yeah so um jumping back to the meat of the podcast um i have prepared a powerpoint for michelle to uh, peruse through with little topics and words that I thought might intrigue or, you know, we could pull from a conversation right? Um, just based on random stuff I know and stuff I've looked up over the past week. Yeah. So feel free. I think in Terrabang also, I mean, if you've seen all of our episodes, we did something similar. I believe it was episode two um, with potatoes. 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 Um, And we covered quite, quite a length um potatoes um in detail and i think you know we bookmarked a few things because uh, believe it or not as you if, you if you listen to the podcast episode you realize how much there's talk about potatoes um and same with this topic um we definitely want to address that we won't get to everything that we'd like to and probably we'll be bookmarking things for future episodes room this. to grow for sure exactly so hopefully we cover some things that interest you in Terrabang or you didn't know about or spark something within you, but did want to just mention that, that we, we know this is a big topic. <laughs> um, but Journey I think, of a thousand miles begins with one step. You're welcome. Fortune cookie. Fortune cookie. But yes. Um, yes. It was like, said, she said, Stephanie did have, um, a little presentation prepared that she has sent and shared that, with me. That's putting it very formally. I just put so together kindly. some slides and then they're very mumbled jumbled together. And it has a really cool background that I want to do like art with. Personally. Maybe we'll, we'll use it as like a preview picture. Like the background. Ooh, yeah. Nope. That down. By this time, um, dear listener, you probably will have seen the promo picture on our Twitter. So this will be old news. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're now getting fascinated so myths legends i think you know other things that come to mind are you know um things like spirits or ghouls or you know ghosts and things um i think like those are words that come to my mind um also this is a i mean not to limit it, but what we know is kind of a human aspect of storytelling and passing things down and these developing in different areas of the world throughout human history. So 
it is interesting. One thing I like about myths, legends, you know, or fairy tales. Um, or they tall, count? Fairy tales or tall tales. I don't know if that's just uh, United States, like American Yeah, found. definitely American stuff. Um, um, but one thing I think is cool in all of this is how sometimes two countries at two different time points in history will come up with a, quite a similar tale Maybe it's to describe something about like the weather or just like what their viewpoints on the apocalypse, apocalypse or preferences about moral, good moral standings are. So I think that's cool when like this very similar stories come up on their own within two separate civilizations. I also think it's really cool too, when um, you can start with a single story and trace kind of like, you know, the chain link the daisy chain of how it's been kind of passed on and spread from different cultures and changed and altered to fit the one that's currently in like a common thing today we have is you know walt disney productions several of the popular films have one or multiple origins of of tales and histories so i think that's really cool to try to break things down a little bit there so that's just for me um or even santa claus like he's got quite a few origin stories exactly um so and i think you know and also just the cultural impact that it has on a on a a place at the time of how much it you might say oh it's just a story just a tale but like no some of these actually do have quite a big influence and impact on how people live and view life in those places some are some are like um they became part of the religion or they are part of the you know um, religion at some point some are just like you know stories like you mentioned some are real people that became mythologized into um legends and you know they you know through generations and generations and exaggerations of the tales you know they've grown to become larger than life one thing that comes to mind for me are that i can think of so again speaking for myself and and tara bang so i was raised united states and so my my lens and you know a consumer of Disney productions. Um, sure. So my lens is much more yeah, Western bound of these tales. I've had the pleasure of learning others from other parts of the world, um, but I will just speak for myself on that of because it does seem a little bit limited in what I can share um, for today's episode. And as for myself, I don't profess to be an expert on all the cultures of the world but I do try to expand quite a bit um, yeah. with like different cultures and, you know, um, stories. And like you said, trace the different elements that are similar throughout different cultures and, and um, things, populations. Uh, and so I enjoy kind of tracing that thread. And uh, yeah, so I'll be speaking from that point of view, but I by no means claim expertise on yeah. <laughs> all the cultures in the world. One thing that's cool that helps me at least kind of map things out because I feel like when you just hear myths and legends and fairy tales, you're like, oh my gosh, there's just so many things come to mind. I'm like numb, you know, oversaturated with things that come to mind. So for me, it helps to kind of go through, like you said earlier, you know, the tropes, the categories. So I know for me, some common ones, I think we said are like origin, um, you know, explanation of certain phenomena in nature. What are some others? Um, um, like heroes or like trickster gods or entities, mm-hmm. um, like how fire came to be about, you know, like I guess it's nature phenomena or um, 
you know, like some kind of gift giver element or moral compass, moral lessons. Yeah, yeah, stuff. some parables or like fables, you know, like Aesop's fables or, you know, um, lesson, you know, less takeaway lessons, paradigms. No, different parables. One thing for me that I can think of for sure is a lot of these, at least how they're presented to me, was as a child in terms of not just like bedtime stories, but just like maybe just storybooks. And not realizing at the time of that, they were like a lot of like lessons, like, like, um, like disciplinary lessons. That it some, but not all. So yeah, some, but not all. So I think as an adult, I'm able to look back and realize, oh yeah, that actually like, there was a lesson in that. And, and I was just blindly like nodding in agreement or whatever. Okay. Um, do you have an example of that? I think like there's a famous one like Hansel and Gretel is one that you know we were taught oh, right, you know, okay. by, by the Grimm brothers, but that's it's not tied to I know some of like the Russian or Slavic storytelling with like Baba Yaga, but like the lessons of just why I mean there were two siblings, two young children, right, who wandered into the woods and they like they brought something in some versions it's like bread to like leave behind, and they were told by their parents like make sure you come back to the village that they lived in and they got lost sure. and crossed talk to paths, strangers talked to strangers really talked to strangers went into the strangers home became close with them things didn't go too well i guess to the effect little red riding hood as well you know mm-hmm. exactly and then they in some versions they were able to make it out you know it varied but i think like like that we're always taught that or i was told that story a lot and so you know, the lesson of yeah like you said don't go with strangers you know be openly communicate with your parents make sure your parents or someone knows where you are at all times Um, be very cautious think for yourself like things like that um i want to add to that mm -hmm. um so i always thought it was very interesting that um i i read the grim fairy tale grim brother fairy tales and the Mm -hmm. um hans christian anderson stories at quite an early age um i think in elementary school and I was kind of surprised how, like you mentioned, that they had Disney versions of those, you know, movies or stories. And they always seemed very chipper, you know, I guess, because um, Mr. Disney and his company didn't really want to impart a sense of doom and gloom and um, futility, futility to, to, you know, young children. Whereas the Germans and, you know, Eastern Europeans you know, or, or Northern Europeans did not really have much of that issue. Like um, like Alexander Pushkin would be a famous one for a Russian or Yvonne. Yeah. Yeah. Bilibin. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. Also, also yeah. Tolstoy, I know is quite famous. Yeah. And then um, I was like reading or listening to something and they mentioned how, you know, there's, there's like this one giant cat in one of the, the, I think Scandinavian or Slavic, fairy tales that you know like will eat children up if you know they stray out of the house and this cat has like many legs or you know it's crazy um like a spider cat yeah it's kind of like i think wampus cat is the most similar north american Mm. version of that that's cherokee but uh there was like a european version of this and i was like that's so horrifying you know amongst all the other horrifying like late night tales about you know things eating children at night in the middle of the woods or something um, and then it occurred to me that it's really cold <laughs> out in like, you know, Northern Europe or something. And it's, it, it gets pretty dark pretty quickly when mm. it's like winter time. Right. Right. So in order to, you know, try and make sure that the children stay indoors, fear is a strong um, tool 
um, they use yes. here is, you know, a, a way to kind of keep children indoors. So it's not like, you know, they, they will play outside, um, you know, in the summer, sure, they can play, you know, forever because it, the sun hardly ever goes down. But in the winter, you know, like wolves and stuff are out to, you know, like looking for food, food scarce. So what better mm-hmm. than to eat yum, yum, delicious, you know, soft, warm human children. So, you know, keep them indoors, protect them, um, but scare them into <laughs> subservience a bit. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting like reason or tool, you know, fashion use use of storytelling. You know, yes, like you said, some of some of it was to communicate morals. Some of it was to instill fear so that you know they could survive at least for the winter. Well, when it comes to mind again, starting at the again, what was presented us with Disney, it was so Cinderella. I think mm-hmm. it'd be really cool to track as it went through Europe and Eastern Europe and adapted. Oh you know, yeah, so- for sure. So Cinderella, you know, cinder meaning like ashes and a fire. So traditionally, Cinderella was always going to have brown hair as that was a less desirable trait to have. Sure. Because, um, yeah, if you're brown hair, you're dirtier, just you're associated with these things of your ancestry and whatnot. So in most of the stories, um, she had brown hair okay. um, and was darker complexion versus fair skin. Sure. And um, I think even in the French version with um, Peralt, Charles Peralt, she also had brown hair. So it wasn't really until really the Disney version that she became switched blonde. It up. She had skin. blonde and blue eyes. Um, so just to show like the preferences of whatever that culture was. And I don't remember if there were singing animals in the old versions. No, there was nothing. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> that was... Uh, again, t- that's also tied in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All Always the singing and talking animals. Um, yeah, but- Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and Disney also do that too, don't they? And yep. Rapunzel. Yep. Most of them <laughs> do have, well, because the, the side characters, you can you can import a lot of traits and qualities into the sure, side characters. Sure. I mean, you know, animals, the they're, they're, more, they're more neutral and mobile and versatile as animals. And you talked about like already, like I mentioned, like you mentioned with the cat or like Kiki Mora, Domovoy, like ties into the, like the spirit, the resemblance, like heck, Mushu mm-hmm. from Mulan. Like there's backstory there with things like that of, you know, his origin of things. Um, so animals being a vessel to store. Sure, sure. Spirits and things. Spirits yeah. and contribute to the storyline. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think one thing also comes to mind too of, like being in a, in the United States in America as tall tales, like you have like Paul Bunyan, but also like with his, like you mentioned, like with the confused, not confusing, but it's a gray area between like, this is an actual person that existed in recorded history. And Johnny then, Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed. But I was thinking too. of, uh, yeah, that's a great example. I was also thinking of like George Washington and the cherry tree story. Like, I think <laughs> it's, it's proven that that never really happened. Um, but it was a made-up tale to showcase his was honesty, because it was like a story, I think, where he was a boy, and he yeah. accidentally chopped on a cherry tree in his parents' place, and legend lot- showed that he never, he could never tell a lie. Yeah, because his father caught him or something, he openly admitted to it, and so, like, but, like, George Washington, we know was a true person, but, like, what if in a hundred years or so, like, it's kind of fuzzy and forgotten, was he real or not, but everyone might know that tale mm-hmm. of this George Washington the cherry tree or for instance like the Odyssey is 
by, by Homer. And that's something that we, I had to read a lot in, in school a few times, mm-hmm. but like how much of that is this mythology versus through human history or the Iliad? Did Cersei really turn people into pigs? That's the big question <laughs> I've got in my mind. This island of the, the Cyclops, <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, or the, the, the- Charybdis, we can easily explain. They're just giant maelstroms and whirlpools. Exactly. Or, you know, or the wars, um, you know, the, the different wars that were mentioned during his journey. Um, oh, kind of as an aside to that, mm-hmm. um, it's been determined that, you know, sometimes people like in the ancient, you know, the sea fairy mariners, they were talking about like mythological creatures and like sea dragons and um, unicorns and, and <laughs> things like that. And sometimes it's just a narwhal you know because it's got that horn or like i think they people or the giant the giant rhinoceros the giant actually a unicorn yeah the giant squid you know they've kind of associated that with what do you think of um, hp 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 lovecraft yes cthulhu cthulhu is one Um, but i feel this is just a personal opinion though sure with the lack that we the lack of knowledge that we still have of the ocean depths i feel like things oh, of that nature st- for sure still for sure. actually still hold even in modern even if you are a believer of modern science and technology i think it's objective you know how little we know about our brains space aliens and, of the deep and yeah at the, at the deep we still know so little it's so hard to explore and get down there yeah you know our instruments we're still developing instruments to understand things and find things every once in a while you'll see something totally new new species something that we never was discovered before i think i came across something recently and it was saying something like the the diplodocus isn't a real dinosaur anymore i think they've like debunked and changed to like a different relative but you know some pleosaur i think it's the proper name now Mm -hmm. but uh, it's like a long neck thing um that has like fins and it's giant and you can look it up pictures Okay. I think they deem that that actually does could exist. Um, like still? Yeah, I think so, but they just like haven't found it. Or I mean, I hope I'm not spreading misinformation. I'm sorry, just look it up. Um, but I think that they're like, uh, it's not an impossibility. So Nazi could be a thing. Yeah, I think but I'm... also, mm-hmm. uh, I would like to add a caveat as well. Um, sometimes they think it's like some kind of monster like the Loch Ness monster the pleosaur but actually it could just be a whale's penis when it's like doing a little turn um to breathe and then um you know they only catch the end not quite the tail bit but like the penis kind of flops as the whale does the come to the surface turn and you know go back into the water and it looks a bit like a head from a distance head and neck that is such a specific um, thing Uh. action and you know, if there's fog, you can't see a lot of things, and you you know you can only catch it from the side of your eye, you know, because that's and where also the, how the ocean the motion is captured. Uh, just the 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 um what's yeah, the you word? Get, you get you get like mirages. You know, sometimes if you don't have enough fresh water to drink, right? But the, the chemical makeup of the ocean, like ships in the sky. Well, that too, but also just the chemical nature of the ocean water. When things wash yeah. ashore, they can look completely unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. And you try to figure out what was that originally, and it could have, mm-hmm. and it could have been washed ashore from, you know, across the entire ocean. There um, was there was like a wreck of um like a, a barge, a container shipment of Legos that happened. I think 
a decade or so ago at least mm-hmm. and it's washing up in this one beach and it's still washing up stuff to this day of like little lego pieces and you can find like lego fish or lego seahorses mm. um, and <laughs> funnily enough it was nautically themed um <laughs> you can see little like steering wheels you know the what i'm talking about the the ship yeah. wheels um but yeah it's it's insane that you know like you said some stuff is still circulating so uh yeah i'm sure a lot of tall tales could be um spun from those yarns from those remnants i think it's also interesting with mythology too and i again kind of going back to the odyssey because that's something i'm quite familiar with you know the distinction and with that you know the distinction between you know humans mortal humans Mm-hmm. And then that other sphere, it, who, mortal humans, you kind of have this more than human ability, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the gods, the immortals, the spirits that they, uh, you know, are interacted with. Um, or another one would be you know, the Hercules with the different trials and tasks mm-hmm. and how, I don't know, I don't want to go on with this, but I always think it's interesting of, a distinction of like, well, they're human, but they're still able to do all of these amazing things and compete and level or even defeat. If they were gifted by the gods or, you know, or gifted or talented by the or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always think that's really interesting because it's like it's to serve as an inspiration sure. to the reader to push themselves and aspire to be something great. Um, yeah. Inspirational things. Right. I'm trying to think of some other ones. I mean, I think a more modern day, like you mentioned, with kind of superheroes and comics that like um right now is popular, you know, Superman, or there's so many. Sure. Or like Spider-Man. Rags to riches, you've got Aladdin, yeah. you know, kind of bluffing his way to the top, but somehow he's able to do it adeptly and yeah. people believe him. And then hey presto, he's got the girl in the end and all the riches you could dream of. But like the Yeah, so he's actually an original story. Hmm. I think so in Terabang, I guess I'm curious for you, like, what role these kind of tales and myths play in your life? How much they factor into what you do on a daily basis or what you like to... Maybe not so much on a daily basis, but, like, how do you think it's affected how you've grown up or, like, your outlook on life? Exactly. Your expectations or outlook. Precisely. Precisely. And are you more of a fiction or a nonfiction person? I think that's one thing also to think about. And, but like I said, some of these are kind of blending in with historical, historical teaching. So um, I don't know be- if I've ever mentioned this story before. Hmm. Um, and by now, it may be very well known, but Arthur Conan Doyle, or, or, you know, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. he like trained to be like a doctor at some point, And that's why he like he, he based Dr. John Watson based off of his mentor. Um mm-hmm. And uh, he's great friends with Harry Houdini, the magician, the renowned magician. Um, but he was absolutely, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was absolutely convinced that magic was real and fairies were real. And, you know, he would like pray to little fairies and like, you know, go and try and visit them and things like that. Um, and so he would try and get his mate, Harry Houdini, to like do magic <laughs> and you know, show him. And Harry Houdini's like, no this doesn't exist to me i am a sham and you know harry houdini would like go on to like go and debunk um lots of uh people who thought that they could connect with spirits you know like mm. people who um are trying to connect with their loved ones 
um, yeah. through these spirit mediums and take people's money essentially. Uh, and he would like actively go and do that. <laughs> and Harry, meanwhile, his his mate Arthur Conan Doyle is just kind of hopelessly like, oh, I believe in fairies. I do, I do. <laughs> and I just love how there's such you know a strong disconnect between their personal and professional lives, and mm-hmm. yet they got on pretty well. <laughs> And which happens true sometimes. friendship right there it's yeah. true you it know happens. i love that. i feel like but with that of arthur conan doyle like you know believing in, in fairies i think a question i'd have um it doesn't need to be answered stephanie but you know for interrobang my kind of what about question is you know oftentimes i think it's more common when you're a kid and you like have the fear of like monster under the bed or monster in your closet but I wonder if you felt there's a creature that you feel you've seen or sensed similar to Bigfoot or you know the Chupacabra or Loch Ness Monster or, you know, I think I'm missing a few others in different cultures. But if you feel you've sensed one just for yourself, but you've yet for it to be shared and passed along and made as a kind of a main what am I trying to say? Like a main common story that's shared and talked about. Well, like you believe in the chupacabra in real life, or like no, like what I've heard about no, growing up. No, like if what I do you mean by that, What's I, if, if I feel like I encountered like this oh. squirrel, centaur, completely original <laughs> creature that okay. only I have either seen or sensed, uh-huh. and what I felt it was like and where I encountered it and what happened I'm just curious put that out there if anyone has experienced that I feel like you know oftentimes in a lot of western literature like we have that separation like you mentioned of you know like the normal beings and then the other like the the more supernatural um but I kind of like um is it Terry Pratchett's approach where you kind of mix the two together and you know, they don't really differentiate between a gnome or a dwarf or, you know, blah and blah. Like, it's not, it's, they just kind of take it on in their world that, yeah, okay, you're a dwarf, all right, we're going to treat you. Oh, like shape, like shape shifting? Not, not shape shifting, but like, you know, how we have that separation between, uh, have you seen Stardust, right? Yeah. Like, there's, okay, there, there's a world where, you know, it's just humans, and yes. then you cross this wall. And once you pass that threshold, you're in the magical world. And so, yes, there are humans too, but there's also things like people that turn into goats. Mm. And then there's, you know, like magical stars that turn into people. And then, you know, candles that can transport you to different places. Um, and I feel like Terry Pratchett's world is kind of like that beyond that threshold world where, you know, magic and realism combine. Magic realism, that's another, um, I think, I believe it's a Spanish uh, specific like written genre where they kind of combine the two and no one really questions the the fantastical nature of it they just kind of accept it as their way of life like yep you know um like kind of in star wars where you've got different aliens meeting different people and they they right. don't treat each other like ah oh, you're a wookie so therefore i'm going to treat you different like they just kind of talk to the wookie like they're normal <laughs> you know most of some some eh, i feel like i've lost you um but no, I'm just upset that um what movie oh. was it? That Chewbacca. I don't oh know, yes, like, he's always like 
not getting discarded. He yeah. never gets the credit. Well, that he, he, exactly. Deserves. That's where I went off. And I was trying to remember. So you're right. Um, um, I guess they don't treat it 100%. What, I'm going to be, I need to look it was, up. It was the. Which episode um, was it? He didn't get a medal. Episode number six. He didn't get the medal in, in the throne room. And get I'm a medal. so incensed about that. Uh, but I can't, I don't think they can fix that now. I mean, they've got enough Princess Leia footage, but still. <sighs> You know, in Greedo, there's a whole. So maybe I I, I rescind my uh, statement about treating <laughs> non-humans equally. They seem to treat Yoda with some degree of respect. No, I take that back. They made him do lots of flips in kung fu. <laughs> so, yeah, anyways, um, but you know, Terry Pratchett's world, I think they kind of deal with them a little more even-handedly, um, and I just kind of like that aspect of mm. you, know, you treat people all the same. Equality in its true sense. You know, regardless of what race, gender, um, mentality you've got, you're just treated as being. Yeah. Um, no, all super interesting. And I think I know one thing you mentioned, Stephanie, before this we recorded this episode was how you have quite a few different actual stories to, to share. Like specific Indeed. stories. We talked a little bit about some, um, but I think we'll definitely get into that in a future episode because I know I'd like to hear more. Yes, I please. Think- we wanted to just kind of like touch on a few topics today. Um, it's an introduction of fairy exactly. tales and myths and legends and next and we'll dive right in. Exactly. So definitely in Terabang, if you like this topic, don't worry, we'll talk more about it in more detail. Um, we will be switching over now to our music list for this episode. Uh, we kind of did a general theme of how do you describe this, Stephanie? I'll let you take Adventure, it Adventure, epic. So first off, we'll start with Concerning Hobbits by Howard Shore, the perfect song to begin any adventure. Mm. Um, it's just very nice and wistful, and you know, like um, reminiscent of like country peaceful life. You know, things are just the way they should be. Um, from Lord, and then, and this is from Lord of the Rings. From Lord of the Rings, um, I think it's also in The Hobbit. You know, yes, J.R.R. Tolkien was a master of you know the modern epic story, um, and. You know, everything is just very tranquil and peaceful. Mm-hmm. And then we, we kind of start the adventureness going with quite a few songs from Two Steps from Hell, um, which is one of my favorite groups for go-to epic adventurous music. We've mm-hmm. got Heart of Courage, which you've probably heard from quite a few um, adventurous fantasy trailers. Moving Mountains is also a great one. Um, and then we'll go back to Howard Shore, um, who is the composer of Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. Um, with the bridge of Casa Doom, which is when the dwarves are, you know, the orcs are like making stuff, and it's very like ominous and oh, I know industrial, yeah, industrial sounding. Yeah, the part where Gandalf is saying, "You shall not pass." Maybe that's it. Um, and they're like facing the Balrog. Anyway, um, fun, fun times. Very, uh, you know, intense. Yeah. And then um, going back to some more two steps from hell is Freedom Fighters, Flight of the Silverbird, Norwegian Pirate, and To Glory. So these are um, all kind of different tones. Very tone, but still like very epic. Um, like there's there's definitely movement in the song. Like it's maybe more just... for the category of Miss of the Quests. The heroic yeah, like kind of Dungeons stuff. and Dragons type music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's also Wings by Thomas Burgesson, who is one of the guys from Two Steps from Hell. So, and that one's a little more uplifting. Um, okay. And then we go into another movie zone 
uh, with Brian Tyler, who is the composer for Thor, Thor the Dark World specifically here, um, is the title track and also the first song <laughs> and the movie where it comes from, and um, which is, you know, the the main, I think it's, it's opening sequence when he and his friends are kind of like storming and creating a bunch of ruckus and, and winning their battles um, at mm. the beginning of this second movie of and, Thor. And Thor is a character that has, you know, mythological origins, right? Oh, for sure. Like, I was planning on talking about him, but now I guess we can't um, too much next time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's great and powerful and, you know, here very much a hero, like, protagonist vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, so there's a lot more to go into him and then uh and the second song for this from this album is into eternity which uh spoilers uh is the song used for a funeral and i thought it was a very beautiful portrayal of a funeral um but it's just kind of sending this person out into ether into the eternity um and it's like a beautiful portrayal you know the viking funeral of like firing um things into the sky and the boat you know going off into the distance and um Mm. in this case it was going off the edge of the world of you know their world asgard um but it was just probably the most beautiful scene i've ever seen and heard um so there's that song you're welcome (laughs) uh i have a few to add in addition to some more that stephanie will be adding but one it's it's from the king arthur film i don't remember the director like 10 15 years ago now um with clive owen and keir knightley and i can't say his last name ian starts with an s um that's not helping he's mr invisible in that original fantastic four film um i know owen gruffled maybe um anyways that Probably that that Welsh, I think. Yes, Welsh. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it's him. Um, it's the King Arthur movie from that time, and Mm -hmm. there's a nice scene where um, there's a moment where the character's wife sings. It's called "We Will Go Home," and Mm -hmm. um, it's by Peter Hollins in Uriel. It must be the the vocalist on it, but I think it's a very um, he has a mix of nostalgia and just taking a break from the intensity of your, that you're enduring on your journey and quest, mm. um, and has a lovely of- respite. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, another one I have is different part of the world, a uh, reflection of the moon in the Urquan. Um, it's a Chinese. Urquan maybe? Urquan. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's Urquan. It's a spring. Um, it's by, uh, the musician um, A Bing, A B I N G, A apostrophe B I N G. I've seen different spellings of it. Uh, I think from like the 1950s, um, he was a blind musician and he composed this while actually sitting like alongside a spring. So I think for mm-hmm. me, it reminds me of those myths and legends that you kind of just sit in when you're sitting kind of in nature in silence with yourself and you think about you know, the history of the world and the universe and you kind of drift off into pensive times. Yeah, exactly. You know, you just fall asleep on a rock in a quiet meadow near a spring and think about all, all the different things that happened in our world. Um, the next one I have uh, is Pan's Labyrinth Lullaby from the movie Pan's Labyrinth. 
by the composer Javier Navarrete. Navarrete. I think that has this kind of ghoulish, ominous, but it still has some sweetness to it of to kind of show like this otherworldly parallel universe that the movie describes. Um, Magical realism. That was, it's one yes. of those things. Yes, yeah. precisely, precisely. Um, and so they kind Spain of- in World War II and the girl's trying to have some escapism from her horror, horrific life, yes. you know, mm-hmm. in I believe fascist Spain. So yes. she's going to another world of horrors, but very different. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it kind of connects to the next two songs. Like you had, you had Stephanie, right? Yes. So I uh, suggested Davy Jones. Um, from Pirates of the Caribbean. Is it the second one, Dead Man's Chest? Um, and that's just a haunting, another haunting world to buy. I think it's the second one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, because we're introduced to David Dave Jones, of course, and he's like playing the song on his organ. It's a, you know, strong motif throughout the film. I don't know if people notice it a lot, but mm-hmm. and he plays it with this like tentacles and the organ. And then, you know, it's like the same song that's used in his locket for his long lost love. And then, you know, like, it's just every time it pops up, there's something very like, poignant and nostalgic but you can't quite grasp what it is and it's it gives the character love. that softness i think that's gives that right because so you depth. forget that he's he used to be like a human and then he sold his soul for like mm-hmm. you know immortality or that ship or greed whatever the case is i forgot exactly but you know it's that one bit of him that's still human that's still beating and still yeah. you know uh, got blood and Stuff. And I so, love, like you said, is that uh, that simple tune, that motif that shows up throughout the film, reminds you that of of it's just kind of whispers that of facet, that, of that dimension of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that remnant that's still there. Yeah. Um, so that's beautiful. And then um, in Noctum by Nicholas Hooper from the sixth Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince film, it's I believe the film uh, the the part I think it may have even been a deleted scene. Um. But mm. it's where uh, it's it's another not quite funeral song, but a memorial song for another crucial character that passes away. Um, Spoiler. Or, mm, well, at this point, you should at have this point, seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's very touching, and I've definitely cried myself to sleep <laughs> with this song. It's a bad song. Uh, but it's very it's very nostalgic and even if you've never like you don't know what the context is it just sounds um like it's calling out for help somehow and you don't know what to do or how to help or it is, i'm sorry i didn't mean to make this a downer but it's it's a beautiful beautiful song it's got this wonderful choir of children behind it and it's just kind of like reaching for the heavens um if you know i may be so metaphorical um and you know with soaring vocals and you know like a constant uh beat to keep you grounded and oh my god it's just amazing song um but yeah you know so so hopefully you know this journey of an adventure has brought you you know from tranquil to exciting to you know remember the fallen ones and you know we'll kind of have you michelle wrap up the 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 end of this track of this playlist so far yeah i think i've mentioned myself you know the odyssey a couple times in this episode um but you know modern take on it is the film um a brother where art thou um and there's a song in that film that's called didn't leave nobody but the baby and uh, the singers in it are emily lou 
Emmy Lou Harris, Alison Krauss, and um, Julian Welch. And it's kind of the scene or the characters encounter, you know, what is actually, you know, the sirens that mystify the characters and lure them with their sweet vocals into, um, you know, stealing all their things and <laughs> bewitching them and actually, you know, tricking them into. Um, it's an interesting movie, especially if you know the context of the Odyssey. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. But it's a very lullaby, kind of lulls you to sleep, repetitive, very good harmonies in that song. And uh, yeah, I think just kind of a quiet note to end on, um, but not totally on the episode on. We do have, no, I guess kind of a preview maybe of, of you, know, p- you know, probably the future episodes we have to carry on this topic. Um, Stephanie, if you wanted to. Uh, yes, I would like to tell the tale and the tale of what you may ask, the tale of King Arthur. Those, yeah. You've mm-hmm. probably heard this tale many a time and in many different fashions. Um, so King Arthur was not necessarily born a king. Who is? Well, I guess he was the once and future king. <laughs> um, as as T.H. White has written. Um, but there are many origin stories to like who and how he came about. You know, um, some say he was the son of Uther Pendragon. Um I think that's the general consensus. Um, but whether or not he's a Uther was a good or bad king is, you know, debated upon. Um, and, you know, you may have heard tales of the sword and the stone related to the lake, and that's how he, like, knew his greatness, and, you know, would commence. Um, you know, sometimes he was, you know, uh, born into a peasant life. Sometimes he was, you know, a king. Or, like, you know, like, born into royalty and state remained in royalty. Um, and the, the versions really differ on, you know, his upbringing. But um, so at some point, sometimes some stories involve both. I know I'm muddling it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's different stories of, you know, whether Excalibur was from Lady of the Lake or if that one was the Sword in the Stone. And I think some versions I've read say that um, the Sword in the Stone, it could, it could have been a different sword, but the Lady of the Lake was the one who gave him Excalibur. Um, and sometimes some of these tales say that sword and stone and then he like you know he pulled it out when he was a boy and then you know he like grew to get that power and then he like didn't want that power or something so he threw it into the lake or merlin brought it to the lake for safekeeping for whatever reason and who's, and who's merlin merlin oh boy he <laughs> is um this spirit this entity this druid this wizard who knows all you know and is like the, the other half of the coin of this Arthur Merlin duo, he's what the part one of the world is bring him what, into. What part of the world is this? Britannia, and what um, time ish? Yeah, probably like Dark Ages, Middle Ages. So, yeah. so in reality, right? Because um, I've read quite a few books about this. Um, historians think that King Arthur, at some point, could have been a real person, um, yeah. but you know, he probably wasn't as glamorous as we in the 21st century can make those tales out to be. Well, like George Washington, the cherry tree stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, but at least we've got a painting of George Washington crossing the Delaware and it makes him look all glamorous and cool. But here, you know, like, um, I remember I I walked into, I think, Windsor Castle one time and I asked the docent, he's like this old man, he's very stately and he's got this like proper uniform and everything. Um, Like, uh, you know, they've got this room that's full of, you know, the coat of arms of every single knight and, you know, noble family that's there. I was like, and I asked this old man, um, which one is King Arthur's? And he looked at me disdainfully, like King Arthur was a legend. He was not real, and that my heart broke. 
like I, I just loved the Legend of King Arthur so much, and I was like, I, I can't believe you told me this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just absolutely shattered. Um, and he was absolutely but, insulted. <laughs> yes, he was absolutely insulted. But then that, I think that that fueled my quest, if you will, to read more, like than just the Disney story of Sword in the Stone, um, mm-hmm. or film. Uh, to like look more into who who was King Arthur really because surely like the stories aren't plucked from nowhere like they, they've got some remnant of truth right, right? and so, and his knights you know his group that he yeah, yeah exactly the round okay. table so, so yeah. I'll get to that I'll get to that so um, historians think that uh, Arthur was like the leader of this group that happened to be very successful in conquering you know various groups and so you know by you know at this a moment in time of like Britannia there's a lot of um, feudal groups right and so it's just a matter of like being greater in terms of strength mightier um, and, consol- and, and, and consolidating groups. them into one territory well, yeah, trying to consolidate you know like I'm sure that there's always going to be resentful people but doing your best to consolidate like you know how Alexander the Greater you know the Romans were able to kind mm-hmm. of similarly the equivalent I don't know about charismatic but you know somebody's bound to be the conqueror you know um so they believe that king arthur at one point there or someone like king arthur um would have done that and so you know where you've got the brute the brawn you know um the strength you've also got to have like some kind of um political mastermind or uh some kind of manipulator that kind of helps coax the people who aren't necessarily swayed by all the um brute strength you know like the people who put out whispers and propaganda that kind of helps to some degree and now it's not necessarily noticeable right but you know um and that's what historians think merlin might have been like he may not have been actually magical although some people wish he were Mm. um but you know he may have you know like like so many stories about witches and wizards at the time just understood science (laughs) better than everybody else like Like, an alchemist some people like what what causes a fire friction mate you know Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe he was able to, you know, create fire or, you know, like do do stuff that, you know, under, understand what creatures are feeling a little bit more than people who are like, yeah, horse, let's kick him to death. You know, like, oh, if you if you feed the horse nicely, they'll 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 be OK with you, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it could be someone like that who just understood science better. Um, so. And then uh, stuff about Lady of the Lake and Sword in the Stone, that's, you know, it's a, you know, people probably aggrandize those tales a bit, um, but it's just really interesting to see how they've grown over the years. Like you mentioned, Knights of the Round Table, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've got like Sir Gawain, you know, in his like joust with the Green Knight, um, which is very interesting. Well, Knights of the Round Table, town. was it actually, because to me, Round Table is very different than what you usually see in most of those stories. It's, it's like a, a square it's, table. It's a long rectangle with someone at the head of the table. So round, I remember like yeah. in Monticello, for example, Thomas Jefferson, he wants all his tables round to make everyone equal and not have anyone right. be head of the table. So and that- I think that's what the idea for Knights of the Round Table was. Yeah. Now, I think in the Guy Ritchie film that I recently saw, they brought up the question, if the table's so round, and it's quite wide too, it's like nine feet in diameter at least, how are you going to get food at the center of the table? <laughs> <laughs> so um i think at that moment that that table was like only half made or three quarters made so that servants could get to the center um oh. and like distribute the food so it's more like a three quarter it's like a pac-man table pac-man table got it <laughs> um but 
I wonder if the round table concept was just to kind of appease, like what if the knights were different lords of the time and, you know, they're just visiting, you know, they're, they're mates, mm-hmm. they're all, you know, like kind of frat bros and they're just chilling around and they come and go, you know, going off. Yeah, so was it a literal table or their... just more of a concept? Um, it might have yeah. been both, right? Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of to make it like a democracy a little bit. You know, King Arthur is, you know, the, the general leader. But, you know, he kind of, like, treats his different lords, sirs, knights quite equally, maybe. We'll see. I don't know. Read more. Um, and so uh, I think, so, So okay, so they, I don't think there was that concept of the Knights of the Round Table until, um, I think it, it, it grew. It wasn't originally there. And neither was Sir Lancelot and Guinevere. Gasp of all gas, because I feel like that's one of the most famous tales that you hear. Um, mm-hmm. But that was actually, I think, brought in during the chivalry romantic era, which I believe is like the 1600s or so, when, you know, like um, bowing to a lady was a thing before mm-hmm. women were just objects, right? Um, in, the, in the Western civilization. And so, you know, a, a treating, I think it's a very French concept. I think they... Um, even I think at the time where the French, the French at some point overlapped with Britain, right? Mm-hmm. Like the territory, Normandy. And I, th- I think that's where, when the chivalry era began, where, you know, like courtiers would try to woo their women. And so Lancelot was that kind of version. So I think at that point, um, I think Guinevere might have even been Lady of the Lake in some versions, but, you know, King Arthur and Guinevere are very happily married, but their their marriage has gone a bit stale and this chump comes in Lancelot he's bigger better um braver more handsome whatever um and just woos sweet sweeps one of your off the feet and no matter what Arthur tries to do their their tryst commences and even though it's morally wrong they know it but they love Arthur equally it's kind of a very weird threesome um but Arthur kind of loves love, love triangle right. love triangle yeah yeah sorry threesome's very different um happens and and uh it's not great but then i think arthur's like i've got no choice but i gotta execute these guys so it's like very Mm. tragic but you know romantic at the same time and (sighs) anyways um so that's just a little taster of all the shenanigans that happened in king arthur's and his legend and you know how it transcended through history and time so do you, remember, do, you, you enjoyed that? do you know it when the first kind of written version because it sounds like there's many different versions there's, there's like, so many versions there's like some by thomas mallory was it an, was it an oral th white an oral story or oh, i'm always... sure it started off or orally like speaking raconteur yeah. you know uh tale by the fireside and then i think thomas mallory kind of put something together i can't say what century but i want to say 1500s but it could be totally way off base and then mm-hmm. th white um he did i think almost a definitive version okay. where it called the once and future king and it's, he's got like four books in this giant one book compendium um and it talks about king arthur's rise um from boyhood to to you know slightly young king mm-hmm. and then like a tale about all the knights or you know one giant section about all the knights of the round table and their journeys and then kind of the fall of arthur um with mordred and i guess Mor- morgan Le Fay. Um, which is debatably either his son or his nephew, uh, Mordred, I mean. So 
it depends on which version you read. There's a lot. It's it's very mm-hmm. confusing to kind of parse through, but I'm sure there's a lot of meat if you want to research things yourself and go back and tell that docent. Yes, it's always it's always King Arthur. That's the that's definitely a constant. Oh, I don't think he became queen. But, but Arthur, maybe, yeah. Maybe a modern take would would do that, you know. Mm-hmm. No, thanks for sharing. That's always yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think Hope you just make a good point for stories like that. It's a lot of it's just depending what version you've read or heard. I kind of enjoy actually yeah. looking at through all the different interpretations. I think you mentioned earlier, like it's interesting to see the evolution. And yeah. for me, seeing all that like through Shakespeare, through fairy tales, through legends like these, I kind of love tracing that history, that that um level of storytelling, raconteur, raconteuring. Um and I just find that so delightful to see what different eras and cultures have highlighted as, you know, the theme that they really enjoy and they mm-hmm. want to be brought to light, even though it may not have existed previously. So there. Hope you enjoyed that little um, fireside chat in mm-hmm. and, uh Let us know if you're curious about certain other ones or if you'd like us to discuss certain tales um, you may be very familiar with or maybe you have always wanted to hear about, but you don't have time or whatever to research we can look into that those for you absolutely take care and have a good rest of your day or evening sally forth <laughs>